Are you struggling to regain sustainability in your life and create a positive life stance? If so, listen in as courageous women share their empowering struggle of how they came through the trenches to restart and recreate a victorious life worth living. They took their power back, learn the secrets of how they did it, and you can too. Welcome to the Real Heart Talk podcast and 360 Network for Women. And here's your host, Pamela Duran. Hello, and I am so excited to have Joe Ann Bart Mettler, I want to say it right, with us today. She is a remarkable individual with a heart full of compassion and has made it her mission to advocate for hospice and improve the end-of-life care. She is retired from the military. Thank you for your service. We appreciate that so much. And uh, a dedicated nurse. So we are talking with her today on You Are Enough. If you are a caregiver or a child of a parent that needs caregiving, remember you are enough. And she has wrote a book, the Hospice Q&A book. And we're going to talk about that today because I think there's so many misgivings of hospice and people just really need to know. Um, and your firsthand experience, Joanne, you have firsthand experience of helping people through this process. So welcome today to the show. And I'm so happy that you can join us on You Are Enough. Thank you, Pam, so much for having me. And you're so right. I think that there is so many misconceptions out there about hospice. And that really was my passion in writing the book that they so many people have these myths or they would get information from a friend where they heard it from another friend and, and they would just snowball and they had total misconceptions about what hospice, oh, they just put you on hospice, give you medication and kill you. No, that's not the process. <laughs> that's not how it goes. And, you know, it can be tough navigating that process when you don't know you're not medical or maybe you're medical, but that's not your expertise, Right. I mean, I'm a nurse. I I specialize in hospice in a couple different areas, but I don't know those other areas. So I think the most important thing is to know that we all need help in some area of our life and it's okay to reach out and ask for help. And to know, like you said, you are enough. Whatever situation that you're in, if you're a caregiver currently right now, don't beat yourself up. You're doing the best you can with the resources that you have. And you might not know all the resources that are out there. So it is important for you to reach out and ask questions and just seek that guidance because you're not going to know everything. I don't know everything. I take my car to a mechanic because I, I'm not mechanically inclined, right? The same thing with hospice. If you're not sure what it's about, it's okay. Call, reach out, ask questions. You know, that's the only way you're going to know. That's the truth. And I feel, I don't know why people are reluctant to ask the questions. I think, you know, it's just that generation, you know, that's coming up, that is moving into that age range. You know, it's, I don't think people think about what to plan for and they don't know the questions to ask. But I did see a section in your book that is talking about questions to ask. 
So what questions should caregivers or family members ask when it's so important for their loved one? That's a great question. And that's why they're in the book. Because um, when you are thinking about hospice, like how do you even know that your loved one qualifies? You know, um, some people think, well, my loved one's not going to die this week, so they don't qualify. That's not what hospice says. So if you're not sure, you can contact your doctor or the doctor of your loved one. And sometimes they don't always give you the best information because not, and I'm not beating up on the medical community, I'm not, but their expertise is not hospice either. And sometimes they're only going on what their colleagues may have told them, or maybe what their patients or their nurses tell them. And maybe they don't have all the information. So you could always call a hospice company and ask them questions. Like, how do I know that my loved one qualifies? And I'll give you a perfect example. I have a good friend, her husband had dementia and she had been caring for him at her home for several years. And I did a Facebook post about hospice and what it is and how do you know that your loved one qual qualifies? She reached out to me and she said, could we have a conversation? And I said, oh, absolutely. So in our conversation, she told me everything that's going on. She said, oh, but he doesn't qualify for hospice because he's not going to die in a couple of weeks. Mm. I was like, no, he does qualify for hospice because he has this, this, and this. And she's like, really? And so I got a hospice company out there. They talked to her. They assessed him. He totally qualified. And, you know, when a loved one's going through um, end of life disease process, what, whatever it is, whether it be dementia or cancer or an autoimmune disorder, we never know when that end date is. And he did pass away like a month later. Nobody ever expected that. But things happen and they turn pretty quickly. So it was good that she reached out and asked those questions. Like, how do I know he qualifies? And then ask the, if you're talking to a hospice company, like, what should I expect? What kind of care do I get for him or her, uh, for my loved one during this process? What does that look like? How often does the nurse come? How often does the nurse's aide come? Uh, who's in charge? Is it the, they, every hospice company has a medical director and they can choose to keep their own family physician, but most family physicians really don't, I don't I'm not going to say they don't want to, but they don't always know how to best do the medications for end of life. And so usually they'll just give over that responsibility to the medical director, which has that experience, you know, and then how long have they been around? How long have they been doing this? You know, obviously there is new hospice companies uh, starting up all over and that's not a bad thing, um, but it's okay to ask questions. W what do you pay for? Does, can my loved one get a hospital bed? Is that something that is covered? And yes, it is. Um, and so it's just making a list and, and I have it in there, just the kind of a list of questions you want to just, you know, start asking and just turn to that page and, you know, call a hospice company and just start reading through the questions and have a notebook to write the answers, you know, so that, you know, and that you can make a better informed decision of the best way to move forward. 
No, I love that. And I did read that in there. You do have the equipment that they can get. And I know also from my aunt and uncle, you know, they brought out like a breathing machine, a wheelchair, a hospital bed. I mean, they would come out two or three times a week. So I love that you have that in there. And that that's awesome for people to understand that they're not alone, that they are, hospice is really partnering with them at this, it's such a sensitive, delicate time. I mean, yeah. it truly is. Uh, so one question I have for you, Joanne, is does the person getting hospice, do they have, do they need to be that person's, um, I guess, medical power of attorney? Is that what you would call it? Or can it just be the husband or wife? Or if it's a child, what, how does that work? That's a great question. And uh, that relates to a lot of um, paperwork that you want to have, um, e even if you're not appropriate for hospice, but you and I even need to have that paperwork on board because it's important. We never know when something's going to happen. But preferably, if it's a spouse, they'll always let the spouse sign the paperwork okay. if the, the other, you know, if the other spouse is not unable. It is best if you have that power of attorney for health care and or a separate one for finance too, because you need somebody to manage those areas that can be your advocate through that process. Mm -hmm. And it's important to have that paperwork on hand so you're not scrambling at the end when there's kind of a crisis and you're like, oh, I need to do this and this and this. That's good paperwork to have on hand. But like when you're, for instance, my mom was on hospice, I was her medical power of attorney, and every doctor's appointment I went with her, they had copies, but they always wanted to see it, you know, before they allow me to help her make decisions. Right. She had asked me to make those decisions for her. And so I assisted her in that process and making the decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so it is important to have that. We had that very early on. We had that before she even got sick. And she's like, you know, you're the nurse. I obviously want you to be the medical power of attorney. I'm like, that's great, mom. You know, and she had my sister, the power of attorney for finance. I always say I'm a nurse. I'm not finance. You know, so my sister took that part over. So we already had that in place. And it's good to have that in place if you don't and you need hospice, uh, depending on the cognitive function of your loved one at that point, hospice can usually help you get that paperwork done. So that's good. Mm -hmm. So is it a difficult conversation to start with the parent? I mean, I'm just thinking of myself, <laughs> you know, my dad has passed, but for my mom, she does live with, you know, my brother and she just don't want to talk about it. So how do you try to get that conversation going? You know, maybe someone out there is experiencing the same thing. They just don't know how to start the conversation and not have it wind up in a very defensive, you know, mode that it's more of a helping We're part, you know, we're here for you. How can we, you know, make this better? Because when something like that happens, right. like they have a stroke, like you say, you don't know. I'm, I mean, and then they're incapacitated and then what do you do? You know, I'm, I'm sure people are going through things like that. A absolutely. And it's then more the medical team that gets to make the decision if you don't have that paperwork in place. Oh. And then your mom or loved one may get um, all this medical treatment that maybe she never wanted from the very beginning, but sh because she didn't voice that or have that paperwork in place, mm. you're kind of at a crossroads here. It's like, ah, what do I do? You know, mm. um, that can be really tough. 
there is a lot of people that don't want to talk. They think it's, they got to talk about death if they're going to start talking about this paperwork. The paperwork is a, is a sense of prevention and just to get it started and get it rolling. And I would recommend, is there somebody that she will listen to? Because you know how sometimes even our own children, right? They don't always listen to us, but if their friend comes and says this, even though you just told them this yesterday, they'll go, oh, that, is, that isn't true, mom. You know, but their friend then tells them, oh, it's true, you know, so find a person that she trusts or she will listen to and they can start having that conversation. Have you ever thought about what you would want at end of life care? I mean, mom, or if she's talking to a friend or something, if something happened to you, then what does that look like? Would you want a tube feeding? Would you want a, you know, a tube in your throat and kind of keeping it simple not scary, but just saying, you know, it's good to for your kids to know what you want, you know, because she may have this whole picture in her mind of what she wants, but if she's told nobody, it does no good. Yeah. So, and talking about it more in, in the casual conversation, you know, even if you and your brother are there with your mom and you could just say to your brother, do you have your power of attorney for a healthcare and living well set up? Or does your wife going to ha handle everything or whoever it is, right? Yeah. So. His wife. <laughs> She'll definitely handle it. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to make it, it, it's it's hard for a lot of people because then it, they think, well, I, I'm dying then. Am I dying because I'm talking about it now? No, we're, we're preparing. Just like you get life insurance when you know, you're in your twenties or you have a family or whatever. Well, you're hoping that you don't have to use that for a long, long time. You get car insurance just as prevention. You hope you never have a car accident, but you're getting it in place in case you need it. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that just resounded preparing. You're making preparation. You know, it's just like us as Christians, we're preparing, you know, to go to heaven. <laughs> so we, this is the pre- the pre-heaven preparation, we can say it, right? <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. It's all it's all a work in progress, right? We work on ourselves in some way every day, right? And so, and maybe a, a close friend or even a pastor can help her get through of why she's resistant mm -hmm. to not wanting to talk about that. There could be something in you know her past that you're not aware of that she struggled with. And so it just makes her just want to shut down when that conversation comes up. So we're all still that work in progress to the very end. That's the truth. He's still working on me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So I love a section in your book that you talk about the myths of hospice. So tell us some of those myths and how to dispel them for people, because I've even had people tell me it's just, they're just killing them. That's all it is, you know, and I, and I don't believe that at all. I mean, I, I, my dad was in hospice and I'm thankful, so thankful that they were there at the end for him. So what are some of those? Yeah. So one of them is that they're just going to put you on hospice and they're going to kill you. They're just going to give you morphine and kill you. Right. Oh. Uh, I have had patients on very high dosages of morphine. It's 
it's hard to kill somebody on morphine. It really is. It does suppress the respirations, but it's still hard to kill somebody on, on morphine. And everybody is a little bit different in what they can handle, but that's that's not what we do. That's not the first drug that we bring in and go, okay, ready for your morphine. We're gonna assess their symptoms, right? We're, we're going to assess their needs and they may not even need that morphine for a while. Um, I, I had had a patient on for three years. She didn't have morphine until the last two months of her life. So it's not that we immediately bring morphine in and go, let's get it started, right? So hospice care is expensive. It's what I hear people say. I can't afford that. That's expensive. Well, it's a covered benefit by Medicare and Medicaid. And it's also a covered benefit by most insurances out there. So if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna, you would just have to um, check with them. And if you've contacted a hospice company, the hospice company would call them and see what the covered benefit is. Some insurances like the private ones like Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield might have a copay with that. You just have to check with the insurance company. Um, if, if I need hospice, my doctor will tell me about it. I hear that a lot. Uh, recently, I worked with a family that the daughters had called me and said, I really think my dad's appropriate for hospice. And we talked to his, you know, family doctor about it. And he said, no, he's far from dying. He's not appropriate at all. And yet he could barely walk. He was going to the, uh, the emergency room for frequent infections and his daughters were caring for him at his home. So I said, well, is there any other, you know, doctors that he gets care from? And they said a cardiologist. So we called the cardiologist and I just explained everything that was going on. And they're like, the cardiologist said, I am very familiar with hospice and he is definitely appropriate. We all write the order. I mean, and it's not typical that the cardiologist, the specialist doctor would write that, but he's like, I no, we need to get him the care that he deserves. And if that's what he wants and he's okay with that, uh, we got it that hospice admitted him within 24 hours. He was very much appropriate. And where his primary care doctor said he wouldn't he wouldn't die for at least another year or so, well, he died within four months. So we just never know. And But it's that misconception. Well, my doctor will tell me. No, they won't always tell you. And they don't always see everything when you're coming into the doctor's office, right? Um, hospice means patients must die within six months. That is the stipulation that hospice has put on their website, right? That says that. But people get stuck in that six months, just like this gentleman. The doc, you know, the doctor said he wouldn't die for at least a year. Well, he died within four months. But if he would have made it to the six month mark where they need to recertify him, there's recertification periods, right? Hospice will always come out and reassess and the nurse is there weekly, sometimes two, three times a week, assessing the situation, right? They're there to catch changes and help you through that and prevent you from having to go to the emergency room. But he had a condition that wasn't going to improve and he was only going to keep you know, declining from it. So he would have continued to qualify for hospice, even if he lived to that six month mark. Like I just said that I had had a client on for three years. She had a condition that wasn't going to improve at all. I mean, her heart was pretty well damaged. She had congestive heart fire. I can't believe she was on service for three years. But what we did is we kept her out of the hospital with it. So that's some of the myths that I hear a lot of people say, you know, um, 
and or you have to wait until the last week you're dying. I hear that a lot. No, you have to wait until the like the last week you're dying before you get hospice. And unfortunately, people have waited till that very last few days. And you know, and I hear so many people say, Oh, yeah, my mom was on hospice for two days. I'm like, but did you did you think about calling? And and they don't know. So that's why it's important to ask questions. Mm-hmm. No, and we fell right into that, you know, with my dad, we didn't know, and he had been sick, you know, for a few years, and we would take him to the hospital, I mean, there was a couple of times, I mean, the first time I went over there, he just, I knew he had died, I mean, all of the life had just drained out of his body, they were taking him out of the house, and then they go take him to the hospital, you know, they do revive him, give him you know, fluids and everything. And then he's okay again, but then he would want to come home. So, you know, if we had known that they could have been coming out instead of us, you know, trying to get him there when he was really sick, that would, that would have been very helpful to us. So anybody out there that thinks you just have to take them to the hospital, you know, the hospice will come to you. The nurses and doctors will come to you. The chaplain will come. Um, I mean, that's just from my little experience that I've had. They did, they did come yeah. out. They were all so... I- kind so understanding and so so kind this is their expertise and this is what they love to do and i would say majority of the people i worked with in hospice um i would say 99 percent of them really have a passion to serve end of life patients and and their families so it's not just for you it's it's not just for your loved one it's also for you to give you, you know, a rest, to give you resources that you need during this time. And so I think people think, well, if my mom goes on hospice, she has to go live somewhere. No, they'll come to you wherever you are. And as long as it's safe for your loved one to stay in the home, they can stay there. Or if they're in assisted living, or if they're in a nursing home. So, and then there is like a hospice side in the hospital when it's just not possible for them to go home for whatever the situation is. And when they're in the hospital in that hospice uh, facility or section, I mean, is it, do they treat them like the same as if they were coming to your house? It's just that they're at the hospital just because they're in such decline. Right. They treat them the same. I mean, unfortunately, sometimes in the hospital, they're busy and I know it. I was, a I worked in the hospital too before and you know, if you're overloaded with patients or you're short, um, they do the best they can. Mm -hmm. So I always say, if it's possible, have hospice come to you where your loved one is at, because for a lot of people, that's their wish for a lot of people, not everybody, but they want to die in their own home, you know, and, and that gentleman said, I am not dying anyplace else. You can, you're going to have to take me out in pieces if you're going to take me out of my own home, right? So, and some people are so adamant they just want to die in their own home. And so if we can make that happen, let's make that happen. Let's give them what they want, where they're most comfortable. Yeah, I agree with that too. And that was my dad. You know, he wanted to be at home with his family and we were all there. You know, it, was, it just happened so fast. It, it really did for him. He just declined really, really quickly. So you're not alone and you are enough out there if you're the child or if you're the caregiver or if you're the brother or sister. Everyone is going through it because I know when you're going through it, 
you feel like you are alone. You do feel like that, you know, where's my help? What am I supposed to do? You know, you don't grow up. They don't teach it in school. You don't hear about it in high school or college. You know, what are you going to do at the end of your life? Who's going to help you? <laughs> you know, who's going to be there? So I right. really... I really appreciate you writing this book. This is going to help so many people um, because it covers what to do when your family members are resistant to hospice. I love that because a lot of people are resistant. And yeah, when I feel like when they're resistant and I don't know, maybe you can talk a little bit about that, but I feel like it's just a lack of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. When that's causing that resistance. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yes. And that's a really good point. It's usually a lack of knowledge, but sometimes it is a, they feel like a failure. They mm -hmm. feel like um, they're giving up if they allow mom to go in hospice. Like I had a, um, there was 12 kids in this family and four of them had power of attorney for healthcare. And I was just like, okay, I cannot talk to all 12 of you. You got to, you got to come together so I can talk to you all at once. And they're like, oh, my brother is not going to, he's not for this. He's against it. And, you know, he was one of the power of attorney. And so when I took him aside and just said, you know, really listen to him and say, you know, why, why do you not want this for your mom? You, you tell me. And what, what do you think your mom would want? Has she made it known? You know, did your mom voice of what she wanted? And when he started thinking about it and what he said to me was so, I see it in so many families. He said, I feel like I'm failing her if like I didn't do enough. Mm -hmm. And I think when you talked about the caregiver, I think we can all second guess ourselves, but you are not the professional in this situation. Give yourself a break. You're doing what you can do to the best of your knowledge, to the best of the information with what you're, you know, being given. It's not going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. I mean, I, I was the nurse and my mom, my father, my brother all died on hospice, right? I was there with them. So I didn't do everything perfect and I'm the nurse, right? There's things I could have done differently, but don't second guess yourself. You, you are enough. You, and, and be the the son, the daughter, the spouse, or the friend, or whatever <clears throat> role you play with your loved one, be that person for them because that's all they want you to be. So um it's it's just a feeling of giving like they're they're giving up on them and that they're failing their loved one. I see that a lot. And it's just getting really to the root of that. And hospice is really good about coming in and talking with those ones that are resistant and that you know, like, no, I'm not going to do this. And she's not going into hospice. Well, it's just really um, just meeting them right where they're at mm -hmm. and honoring their feelings that they have. We all have feelings and insecurity and emotions going on. This is a very emotional time and tempers are high sometimes. Uh, yeah, I've seen it in family dynamics, right? Well, no, mom. And this is why it's important to do that paperwork ahead of time, because I've seen families fight about, no, mom would want this. No, mom would want this or your dad or whatever it is. And the, the siblings are all fighting and the loved ones right over here, are like just in, just in pain and, but in more pain, emotional pain, because that's the last thing they want to hear is loved ones fighting and arguing and who's right. It's not about being right. It's about what does your loved one want? 
And if you really want to know, just ask them. And sometimes, sometimes they'll say whatever you want. <laughs> and, you know, that's why it's good to have that paperwork up front to say what they want, even to talk to your loved ones about this is really, really what I would like if something happens to me and I'm unable to speak for myself. This is how I want it to look. And my kids, like my kids know exactly how the end looks for me. And they have that very well paid in their head because I don't want them fighting over it. I don't want them fighting like, no, mom would want this. No, she wouldn't. So it just trying to, and hospice is really good at really understanding and honoring those people with those feelings that are having a hard time. That is so good. I, like I said, the what I've witnessed is they have been so kind and understanding, as you said. And my son's also, I have a book. It's I'm dead now. What? So I've got everything written in there. <laughs> so they won't have to worry about what to do with me or, you know, what I wanted. It'll all be in there for them. So <laughs> that's awesome. That that's a prime example of what I want to hear people say, Pam, <laughs> that I've got it all written. I've got it all planned out. They, there's going to be no questions, right? Yeah. It's not going to make it easier, but I mean, emotionally, but it'll at least yeah. be legally and, you know, all the document, all the documentation will be there. So, yeah. and, um, you know, the loved one, the power of attorney for healthcare, whoever that is, it really is giving yourself some grace. Just don't beat yourself up. I, you know, I talked to so many families afterwards, after their loved one's gone and they're like, well, I could have, or I, I should have. Don't do that. You will just torture yourself and it's not worth it. You did the best you could do for the situation that you had before you. Mm. And you're you're not superwoman. You're not superman. Don't try and think you got to hold it all together and it's got to look all perfect. It isn't going to happen that way. And nobody expects you. You might think that other people expect that of you, but they really don't. They might be leaning to you because they think you're the stronger one. But just remember, hospice, you know, they they walk in the door, tell them if you're struggling with something, tell them like, I I really am struggling with this. Or why is mom breathing like this? Or why is dad doing this? You know, just tell them. That's good. That's a good word. And I love I'm thinking in my mind, hospice equals preparation. You know, instead of I think what people usually think is hospice equals death, I hospice equals torture but it really equals preparation and I love that you're bringing that to light in your book the hospice Q&A book and it is for you if you are dealing with this with your own loved ones whether it could be an aunt and uncle I do I have my aunt and uncle as well I mean they're still here but you know they wanted that additional help so I did help them with that okay so you have a chapter in here called what are toilet talks <laughs> So what is that? Tell us. That's a good one. Well, I was caring for my mother-in-law when I was struggling with the last chapter, one of the last chapters, figuring out how to close out my book. And I was in that process of caring. We we came home and uh, we, you know, stayed in my mother-in-law's house with her. We were there, you know, every single minute. But I always took her to the toilet because she couldn't go by herself. And I swear, if that toilet could talk, it just seemed like every time she sat down, she would just start talking, talking, talking. She would talk about 
her children and how proud she was of them. She'd talk about her grandchildren and each and every one. And she has several grandchildren and great grandchildren. And she just would talk. And sometimes she would talk about her life as a little girl growing up on the farm. She'd laugh. So toilet talks really are, listen, there's a time that they need to talk. They're going through this grieving process emotionally, right? Spiritually, physically, and sometimes they need to talk. And oh my goodness. I mean, it was a, it was a precious time. She laughed and she's like, oh my goodness, it's good thing I'm on the toilet. I'm peeing my pants more, you know, but like, but it was her time that she could really talk. So that time looks different for everybody. Maybe your loved ones, you know, uh, in the bed and can't get out, but just pulling up a chair next to their bed, holding their hand. Uh, talk about remember when is so important too. just go mom. Or I always use mom, but dad, you know, or whatever loved one. I remember when you did this, you know, and then tell them about it. And what did you remember most about this? I, um, I really try and coach families. That's just such a precious time. You will really learn so much, or you'll learn something new that you didn't even know about your loved one. Cause they might tell you, well, I never told you this story. And I think that is so precious. I have had, I have had patients that have been unconscious and, you know, you know, we think the time is getting close and the family had asked me to pray. And so we all held hands around her and, and we prayed and all of a sudden she wakes up and she says, I'm right here. You know, I can hear every word that you're saying. And everybody was just like, I said, okay, have that talk. Her, her granddaughter was getting married. So I told her granddaughter, she can hear everything you're saying before she woke up. And I said, tell her all about your wedding. So when she woke up, she's like, Oh, tell me more about that dress. That sounds so beautiful. For two hours, they talked and then she went unconscious again and she died a couple of days later. But we may not all get those moments like, you know, that family got, but let them talk. If they want to talk, let them talk. That's it's so important. Yeah, I agree with that too, Joanne. So I have a question. I mean, even like you said, she can hear. So even though they may seem like they're in a coma or whatever, I mean, they can literally still hear you right till they take their last breath, right? I mean, is that a true, true statement? That is a true statement. The last thing to go is their hearing. Now, if there's somebody who's hard of hearing, I really recommend you still put in the hearing aids for them um, because they still can hear. But even if they don't have, I've had patients that didn't have their hearing aids in and maybe they couldn't hear anything. But I just felt like they could sense the the emotion, the energy in the room, which was laughter. And they were, this family was talking about stories and you could just see him start to smile and he would try and open his eyes and he would just smile and he'd squeeze their hand. He heard perfectly clear what was going on. So it it is the last to go. So it is important to talk to them, even if they are unconscious, because that's a perfect example. That patient that woke up, she's like, oh, tell me more about the wedding dress. It sounds so beautiful. She heard, you know? That is so, so I mean, I couldn't imagine. I would be like, almost, you know, I don't even know if I could speak if something happened like that. <laughs> That's awesome. So yes. you're talking about uh, getting prepared for this. Now, are there 
groups like coaching groups and do you offer coaching to families or to people you know that may be going into hospice that people can tap into for their extra support so of course you if your loved one goes on hospice of course you have hospice that will follow up with you for a year after your loved one passes right and it's good to have those follow-ups because there is going to be things that come up and you can always call them and, you know, meet with that pastoral care. And one thing I'll just mention real quick about the pastoral care. I've had families or loved ones or even one of my own loved ones. No, they didn't want to meet with the, the pastor on staff. They already had their own belief and they didn't need somebody trying to change their mind. That pastoral staff is not there to change your belief on how you believe. Right. They're there to support you through this time. Mm -hmm. And I, I can tell you almost 99.9% .9 of the time that families have accepted that pastor to come out and talk with them, even though they maybe had different beliefs, they had the best time and they laughed and they wanted the pastor to come back again, he or she. Uh, so I always tell families or the loved one, I highly recommend you at least let them come once. And just talk, you know, and if you're not comfortable, that's fine. They don't have to come back. But there is a lot of good uh, grief groups out there. I am all about grief groups. Uh, I think it's important that you grieve what's appropriate for you. And don't shut down because that grief still going to come back to you later. If you don't deal with it now, it is a process. It's hard losing our loved ones. And I, like I said, I've lost already half of my family to cancer diagnosis. And, and it is hard. I miss them every day. My mom's been gone for, well, almost 13 years now. And I think about her often. I see cinnamon rolls. I think about her, right? Sometimes I want to cry when I see cinnamon rolls, you know, because it reminds me of her. She makes cinnamon rolls. But it's important to, to have that support, to know that you are not alone. It isn't, it isn't easy losing your loved one. And I will never, I think in the end of my book, I say, this is not easy. It's not an easy process. That's why you do need that support. Let somebody help you, guide you through that process. Process. So if it's just thinking about hospice, you know, of course they can reach out to me. They can reach out to their local hospice companies. They can reach out to their doctor or a friend that's maybe been through it. But don't try and do it alone. And then even afterwards, it's important to, I have several good friends. They've lost loved ones uh, too. And we'll get together and have a glass of wine and talk about, you know, our loved ones and what was the, you know, most precious moment that they were on hospice or it's good for the soul. We, we all need that. Yes. No, I agree. Um, being together, you know, just feeling that love connection and just resharing, you know, that beautiful relationship that you had with them, you know, means a lot. And talking about the hospice care, do, is that for like the whole family or just like maybe if it's a, like my parents, is it just for the spouse that survived or is it for the whole family or how did how Well, if you have several different family members coming in, they're going to be there to support them with their questions, concerns, or if they want to call the office and just talk to somebody because they're having a hard time, it's okay. You're family. You're you're part of the package deal, kind of, right? Yeah. So um, we're we're not all gonna, you know, it's it's usually for the immediate family, but that can look different for several people. I I mean, there was a family that the nephew was taking care of the aunt, and he was her power of attorney for healthcare. 
So uh, obviously he's going to get that care that he needs, but it's to support you and your family members through this process because it's tough. It, it's hard. There is nothing easy about this. And I don't want to paint that picture that this is easy. Mm -hmm. I, and I would love to say, well, it gets easier with practice because I've had a lot of practice, unfortunately, but it's still hard because each one is different, you know? I agree. I mean, just losing aunts and uncles and cousins over the years, it's, it's been difficult. And especially the ones that there's longevity in our family. My old, my uncle is, I think he'll be 95 this year. My grandmother lived to 90. Um, my dad was, I think, seven, almost 78. So he would have been 80 this year had he still lived. So, you know, wow. you don't really think about it. And as you grow up, you know, you're thinking, 50s old, but when you get to 50, hey, that's the new 30, <laughs> you know, and you just kind of roll with oh, it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. You sure do. <laughs> um, okay. So that's good. I love, I love your book. I'm almost through it. I'm like halfway through. So I'm excited to uh, read the end, your final thoughts. So before we go to your final thoughts, all right, do you yourself offer uh, grief coaching or hospice coaching for families? Are you just a consultant? I, what do you? What I am a hospice care consultant. I will, I will coach families through this process. Whether that's initially, whether they want me to stay on through the whole process, whether they want me to help them set up things, make calls for them, like I did this other family. Mm -hmm. uh, where I'm like, let's just get the cardiologist on the phone. And they had to be on the phone with me because I didn't have power of attorney for healthcare, obviously. Um, but I'll be that person kind of whatever that looks like to them. Maybe they just need the information, what to ask, how to do this. And maybe that's all they need. And other people say, you know, can I just keep you on? Can I, can I call you when I have a question and I'm not sure? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm there for you. So I don't do grief counseling, but I think in some of my, I think grief counseling starts at the beginning of this process. It's just, it's automatically there. So in my working with them, it's reminding them to not beat up on themselves, right? And we need to allow ourselves that grief and, and don't think that we have to be, like I said, that superwoman, superman. I got to hold it all together. I got to hold it in. No, you need to cry. You know, this is the time that it you're going to cry. You were meant for crying. It's okay to cry. You're not a wimp. Whoever told you that in middle school that you're a wimp, if you cry, they lied, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, I, I remember going through a drive-thru ordering my last meal of the day. And I just, I remember just getting, I pulled up the door to pay. And the guy says, the lady in front of you paid for your meal. I just started sobbing. And I just, I mean, I sobbed and sobbed. And the guy was like, are you okay? Like, I, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, it, it's perfect. It was just what I needed. Mm -hmm. And for me at that moment, it was just kind of like, everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And this was when my mom was on hospice, right? Mm -hmm. Give yourself permission to cry, to grieve. And like I said, I just see so many people second guessing themselves. Just put that aside, mm -hmm. be present in the moment with your loved one, being there for them. Mm -hmm. And don't think you have to do everything by yourself. And that's one thing I always hear from patients. 
Oh, I see. You know, I'm going to give an example. I see Sandy just trying to do everything and keep the house clean and keep my bed perfect. And, and she doesn't need to do that. And I'm like, tell her, tell her that you just want her to sit right next to you and talk to you. You know, it's okay to tell her. And sometimes people do that in starting to deal with that grief and emotion. They don't quite know what to do with it. So they got to keep themselves busy because if I keep myself busy, then I don't have to think about it. Right. That's me. You know, work is my comfort zone. <laughs> yes. Yes. For yeah, sure. It is. Uh, but I love that you're saying that, that they want you to just sit and talk with them. And that is truly, you know, even if it's not their time yet, I mean, just as, our parents or relatives get older. They just really want to reminisce and just share the good times and the laughs. And it just seems so, I mean, I, don't, I know you've done this as well, but I mean, just to sit and think about the things that we used to do as a child, like we had the real to real tapes, you know, and we were all musical. I'm like, yeah, we, <laughs> um, but we would sing and record those on that real to real tape you know and we had those for a long time and my uncle that did that just passed away in January so maybe that's why I'm getting weepy because oh, wow. he was like my second dad um, you know so but those were great times there was not a gathering that we had that we didn't have you know, everybody there playing music and just sharing you know that talent and uh, I miss it and we all miss it. I know there's things that you do, everybody out there that you do in your family. Just bring it back. I was thinking about that the other day. Yes. We can bring back the old stuff and it could be new for this age. So <laughs> you're right. And you mentioned a really good one about whatever you do as gathering as a family, do it. If you gather and listen to music, Put that music on for their loved one. My mom loved Frank Sinatra. So I would put on the record, right? <laughs> Some people watching me not know what the record yeah, is, but uh, I would put on the record for my mom. Oh, and you know, and her last, you know, 36, 48 hours, she was unconscious. And, uh, but you could see her toe tapping <laughs> when I turned on the music. That is so, so sweet. Yeah, that is so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, and it, the more that I guess that I'm older I get and the more that people are passing, I really do feel like it is more of a celebration. And, you know, all of my family, we were Christians. They were preachers, ministers, singers, evangelists, you know. So they're going on up to glory and they're shouting on the streets of gold, not worrying about what we got to be going through down here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No grieving for them because, yeah. boy, they are singing. Yeah. So we should celebrate more. It is yeah. more of a celebration of their life and not they're yes. losing something but they're they are prepared and passing on to their next whatever their next is you know we got to yeah. go for our next whatever our next is that's what we got to be thinking about too <laughs> that is for sure and you are so right it's it is a celebration celebrate them for who they were in your life and yes there was some relationships for some people that were hard but you know i would tell them Try to remember the good of your relationships. You're going to have to let go of that bad because they're not going to take it to their grave. And you're only going to beat yourself up if you're going to hang on to that. Right. So just yeah, celebrate the good, the good times. And maybe it was just the last few years of their lives or whatever it is. And I see that a lot with um, veterans. I have, I had a World War II veteran on and 
the the daughter had called me one night she says you have to come and I said okay I'm not on call but she goes no it has to be you he's I don't know what's wrong something's wrong so I went there and I had the family step out and I talked to him and you know being a veteran I just said you know what's what's going on you're you know you're really like he was really worked up anxious and and people can get that way as they get close to the end of life uh, but something I just felt something else. And he just started sobbing that the things that he did in war, he didn't think that he would go to heaven. Mm. And I said, you did what you needed to do to survive. And you did what probably all of us would have done in that situation, survive. It was about survival for you all and watching out for your, your, you know, your comrades next to you. That's survival, protecting them, protecting yourself. You had to do what you had to do. I mean, no, that's not a pretty picture, but he had held that in for so long mm -hmm. that he thought he was never going to be forgiven for that. And we talked probably, I don't know, we talked for a while. I lost track of time, but he just sobbed. And after I prayed with him and I said, God loves you. You've already been forgiven for that. And um, anyway, so then the daughter had called me the next day they came back in that night. It was late and he was tired, but uh, she had called me the next day. She said, you know, my dad and I ended up staying. She said, and my daughter ended up staying and talking until like two or three in the morning. She said, I thought he was going to go to sleep after he left, but she said, I have never seen him so peaceful and so calm. And she said, can I ask what happened? And I said, it was something to do with the war that he needed to let go of. And she said, he just looked like he lost, you know, 20 years of his life that he just looked like this happy, peaceful person. And that's what he needed. He needed to let go of that. And, you know, they said that he never talked about the war and that they didn't know and they couldn't, they weren't allowed to talk about it in their house. But boy, she said they talked so much the last few days of his life. And that was, that was a gift for them that they needed. I bet that was priceless for them to have. Yeah you know, conversation and just to hear what he had to say. That yes. Wonderful. And that's wonderful. You could be there for them as a fellow veteran as well, you know, and just going through that whole process that that's so mm. wonderful. You have so many good stories and everyone, they're all in the book. They're really good. <laughs> I, <laughs> so if you need evidence, you know, that what Joanne is sharing, it is true. She's got it. It's proof, proof in the book. And I think the most important thing is that you, you need to embrace you are enough and you're not alone. There's people out there. Joanne's out there. Uh, she has a lot of good information in her book, the Q&A, the hospice. I'm going to show it again, the hospice Q&A book. Uh, so I'm so thankful that I met you. We, me and Joanne, we just met in January at a mastermind. And so the Lord makes those connections. Yeah. God wink, right? A God connection. So I love That's that. right. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I love that. And yep. I love how many people that you're going to help. And I want you to share uh, some final thoughts. You have a section on final thoughts, but I want you to share, you know, some final thoughts for people out there. Because since COVID, um, a lot of people have lost you know, family members. And I, the reason I bring that up is my uncles were both veterans. And so I went, you know, to uh, see, you know, the stone and everything for my uncle that just passed away. And his brother passed away right at the beginning of COVID. 
he got COVID right in March of 2020. And three days later, I mean, he was gone. We didn't even get to see him say goodbye, have a funeral. It was so horrible. It was so horrible. But where he's at and then where my uncle's at just three years later, I mean, it's like almost 2,000 more, more veterans out there. It's, it's yeah. terrible. I mean, so people are going through this more and more. I mean, I know all the baby boomers are getting in that age and they're getting into, you know, where they're just coming to the end of their life. I like to say it's the last mile of the way, you know, so yeah. final thoughts for family members, children, brothers, sisters, caregivers that are, you know, going through this right now, what would you share with them? Well, first of all, I do want to say I'm sorry to those who have lost loved ones during COVID. I lost uh, two aunts and two uncles during that time, and it was very hard. We didn't get to see them, so I am sorry. You kind of feel like that door isn't closed until you kind of get to see them and say your goodbyes, and it had to be over the phone for some of them, um, and some didn't even get to do that. So I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry that that was just a bad situation and it should have never happened like that. And allow yourself that grief. And because, and, and keeping those, I remember when moments alive. Oh, I remember when mom did this. It was so fun. So when you have those family gatherings, that's how you keep her memory or your dad's memory or whoever it was. That's how you keep their memory alive and so precious and dear to your heart, right? And, and that's important to do. It's also important. A lot of people think that they shouldn't have their children or grandchildren around. When my mom or my mother-in-law's last, well, even my mother, uh, my, my mother, her last night before she died, I knew that something was wrong. She was anxious. And I'm like, oh, she hasn't talked to her four grandchildren. So I got them over there and they they were ages five to 15. And some people have this thing like, oh no, you don't want the young kids around to see this. No, they need to see this. They need to say goodbye too. And it's okay. And you just have to coach them sometimes what to say. I said, go in, talk to grandma. She's not awake, but she can hear you. And just, you know, grab her hand if you feel comfortable doing that and tell her how school was, tell her what you are looking forward to about Christmas vacation. And they did that. And when the last one, the five-year-old did that, he walked out and my mom took her last breath. So it is important if they have the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, that brings them joy. So make sure they're around, they're gathering too. And you don't have to keep everything quiet. They want to hear the laughter. I, I mean, I would always ask my patients, what's one thing that you love hearing, even though you can't get out of bed? Oh, I love to hear the laughter. I love to hear, even if they're in the kitchen and they're cooking together, they're all talking and they're laughing, they're giggling and being together. That means a lot to that loved one. It's just that laughter, that joy, that's what they want to hear. So be present in the moment. You never know when they're going to pass. And But also remember, they may not pass when you're right there at their bedside. It may not be you. You may be the closest one to them. But they've already had it in their mind when they're going to take their last breath and say, I'm going to make sure that they're not in the room when I do this. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen, I have seen many patients say that to me and I never say anything to the families and the loved ones, but I always tell them it's okay because they didn't want you to see them take their last breath. They wanted you to remember them 
as when they were awake or whatever it is. So don't be offended. Don't be mad. It may not be you that gets to be there for their last breath. And um, be you. Just be you. Mm. And, and allowing yourself that grief, that moment, being in the present. Don't worry about everything else tomorrow. It, it'll come. Tomorrow will come. Just being in the present. I love that. This has been so valuable, uh, Joanne, and I really appreciate your time, appreciate your service, appreciate all that you're doing for families that are truly going through such a difficult time. You're such a sweet soul to be there with them, to help guide them through the process and, and just maybe even a healing process at the end uh, that they may go through. So thank you for everything and thank you for being on the show today and remember it's the hospice q a book you can get it on amazon and tell everyone how they can connect with you joanne so that they can find out more well you can go to my website joannebarmettler.com and if you can't remember you can just look up the hospice q a book on amazon you can see how my name is spelt it's joannebarmettler.com. All my information is on my website. Um, if you have any questions, uh, there's a form on there. You can reach out to me and we can connect. And, you know, we can have a 15-minute consultation just going over what you're going through and what's happening. And I can guide you through that process. So, but I'm here for you. If you, if you just have a question, I'm here for you. I'll definitely respond back and reach out to you. Thank you for having me, Pam. You are such a blessing to so many. And I really appreciate you inviting me to come on the show tonight. You are so welcome. And remember, caregivers, family, children, estranged children, estranged family. If you're going through resistance, you are not alone and you are enough. And Joanne's here and I'm here too for you. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today on the 360 Network for Women and Real Heart Talk podcast. We're so happy you could join and hope you stay tuned for the next episode.